Hi, I'm Cody Ferraro, and welcome to the Power of the Journey podcast, where we peel back the layers of the student-athlete experience by talking with those who have been through it, those who are impacting it, and guests within the athletics community who are actively trying to change it for the better. Today, we are powered by Game Plan, with partners such as the NFL, NBA, Pac-12, and over 300 athletic organizations, GamePlan is the only all-in-one platform for total athlete development on and off the field. GamePlan is also the single largest community of student athletes seeking employment opportunities in the world. So whether you're an organization looking to create comprehensive e-learning education or an employer looking for your next star employee, ask yourself, did I game plan it? For more information, visit GamePlan at wearegameplan.com. That's wearegameplan.com. Today on Power the Journey, a University of Oxford graduate with a Bachelor's of Master's in Economics and Management. She was the CEO of Oxus Strategic Solutions, currently a board member at Influence Mobile and the founder and CEO of Open Sponsorship the largest and smartest two-sided marketplace for sports sponsorship. She was an Inc. Top 100 female founder in 2019, a member of the Forbes 30 Under 30 in sports business, a serial entrepreneur, and a trailblazer in sports business. Introducing Ishveen Anad. Thank you so much for joining us. Where are you calling us, Phone Ishveen? Uh, I'm in London right now. London. Is that is that the, the primary residence of open sponsorship or is it... Where, where yeah, no, most most definitely not. So we were in New York um, from the time we incorporated. We, we we had six months in San Francisco as part of an accelerator, but New York, New York, worked in an office, never done a, a day of remote work in my life pre-COVID. And then obviously COVID here and we let go of the office after six months when we were like, this is ridiculous um, to be paying these rents. And then as we started hiring, I was like, well, you know, we don't know how long this is going to last. So we basically started hiring literally all over the US. Um, and then I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Maybe I could go back to England for a bit to like hang out with my friends and family and work from there. And so it's come a little bit of a permanent fixture, but I basically split, split my time between New York and London now. And I mean, that's a great caveat into the journey. You're very well traveled, been a bunch of places, especially jumping back and forth across the pond here. Take us through kind of the the inception of your journey from, you know, choosing Oxford to the jump into entrepreneurship or the first step after that, how did it all start and where, where did it all start from? Yeah. Um, choosing Oxford, I suppose that's interesting. Um, so I grew up in Manchester, um, parents, both doctors, um, grew up in a very sporting environment. So I, I like spent most of my free time playing sports. Um, fortunate that I also got decent grades um applied to various universities going to Oxford if you get into Oxford you don't say no so obviously that's where I went um despite the fact that I actually wanted to go to a London university and be in a bigger city and whatever else but got there I was super grateful it was an amazing experience further segmented like my love for sports I, I was kind of captain of multiple sports while at college and spent my time either in lectures partying briefly sleeping or playing sports um and then graduated like many people from university with very little career path. So, you know, back to what we were talking about, like had no idea, you know, everyone was like investment banking or law or consulting, that's that's all there is. Um, 
So fell into consulting and, and I did love it, really enjoyed it. But I suppose my heartstrings were always like sports had been when you're kind of playing, they're such a big part of your life. I mean, you probably spend like 70% of your waking hours like playing sports or whatever it may be. But then suddenly you start working and it goes down to maybe 10% of your week or something. Mm-hmm. And that 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 was quite a struggle for me. And so I realized I wanted to work in the sports industry thinking I wouldn't, I would have liked to, and I'd like to go back to doing more stuff on the policy side, um, but kind of fell into sponsorship. And, and that's really how it, and now obviously I love it, but that's really how it got started. Now, one question that I've had is the question around cricket. Cricket's yeah. the biggest sport in the world, but not in the US. Why yeah. is that? Um, it's a great question. I asked the same thing when I moved to New York. Um I'd say that one is that there's just so many other sports in America already. The same way that like people ask about India where they're like, why, why can't other sports break in? And it's like, there's, well, there's so much cricket and it's so powerful. And I think like in America between, you know, even now I feel like, you know, back in the day, live sports was kind of all you had, right? And going to a game was like the primary thing that you had bonding. Now you're competing with Netflix and Amazon and all the other like high reality TV and all of that. So you're already squeezing on the sports viewership. There's so many cool places to go, right? Whether it's exhibitions or holidays are more accessible. So there's so many other places you can spend your money. So as you squeeze squeeze sports, we're, we're already seeing the difference between even baseball and NFL. Right. One gets stronger and one gets weaker. So I just think there's no room for that many more major sports to break in. And then what happens is, you know, it's a political ge- political game. Like, of course, the federations would love to be powerful in America because there's so much money. But when they put someone there and then it doesn't really grow, they, they back off and then they go to another country where it does grow. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good answer. I really didn't think about it that way. I will say that I have seen cricket matches. I love it. I love the enthusiasm. I love the, <laughs> the hometown feel about it. Everyone's got their club. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, the so, other thing is it's not an Olympic sport. And so mm-hmm. that's why so many people want to, so many of these federations want their, their sport to be Olympic. Because as soon as it becomes Olympic sport, you get funding, you, you know, people take you seriously. And so I think if cricket was an Olympic sport, it'd be a different story. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I didn't think about that either. Wow. So what was the, the the eureka moment that you're like, hey, listen, there's a problem in sponsorship and I'm going to solve it. Yeah. So there was basically two. Um, so one was prior to starting open sponsorship where I was working in India and I was obviously living kind of between India and England. And I really um, wanted to do more cross-border deals, you know, um, kind of back to your point, like it's, cricket is like the world's largest sport or biggest sport or most popular sport and yeah so you had these very famous cricketers in india and then in england you've got like huge indian diaspora which yeah i'm one of them and i was like why why is pepsi not using these amazingly um influential characters in their ads in england because Pepsi, India is already paying for them. And I presume they're paying for global rights. And I couldn't really get like a solid answer. Why not? And then I, w- I was working on a golf tournament and I was talking to this, the marquee golfer, right? So every golf tournament, basically they, not not the majors in the US, but a lot of them, they um, in China and Dubai and everywhere else, they'll pay for golfers to come over and play, like the top names. So this guy has been paid $30,000, $50,000 to come over and play in the tournament. 
And he was saying how he'd love to get sponsorship while he was in India, but his agent's his best friend from home, obviously doesn't know anyone in India, has no clue. And, you know, as golf is becoming more Asia focused, like he's playing in China and Dubai, his agent was becoming a little bit more irrelevant. And so it really got me thinking about like this cross border angle. So I first set up my own agency to start doing cross border deals. And then I was literally on a plane and I'm flying and I'm trying to get shit done. And then between all of that, I was like, wait, why is it not, why is it just not like an Airbnb or a LinkedIn? Like, why am I on a plane looking for asking people what you have available? Why is it not just on a website? And so that's kind of how it started. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. So have you seen that a lot of these, I mean, let's, let's be honest, you're, you're focused on your sport. You're focused on actually producing um, a good result, whether it's in golf, whether it's in football or not, are these athletes focused more or is there more attention now on marketing and on sponsorships or is that really just the agent's responsibility? No, that's a good question. Um, there's definitely more focus. Are they just pushing their agent more to do it? Potentially. Like, are they really doing it themselves? Um, I think it's a tough one because they want sponsorship because it's sexy, it obviously provides some money, but it's still that view of like, well, how big is the deal? And therefore I need my agents to negotiate. Whereas, you know, the ideal would be that nice kind of bit between sponsorship can be an equity deal or a royalty deal, or it can be more, or it could be a CSR deal where you're promoting what your cause is, but that helps you to grow your own following. Mm -hmm. So I still feel there's like an infancy around like what sponsorship really means to athletes and why they should do it. Um, but we've definitely, and then for the guys who don't have agents, I mean, obviously through our platform, we have about 40% of our athletes are signed up direct. And so it's nice to see there are a lot of athletes taking it into their own hands. But the the NBA, the NFL, like the bigger athletes, it's still very much through their agent. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense too. And and with, with it being through their agent, do you find that, because and I'm, and I'm saying this just because you have like a Rob Gronkowski who came out you know, two years ago and say, Hey, listen, I don't touch anything that the NFL pays me. It's all through my deals and sponsorship and stuff that, that I spend that money. And in the States, at least, especially there being a microscope on financial literacy and, you know, financial responsibility with these pro teams, is, is that a part of, of kind of the, the thought process of open sponsorship on top of it is that, Hey, listen, this is another another source of income for you that uh, that you can really put in your financial planning moving forward. Um, it sounds great, so I'd like to say yes, but it's not really. Um, I would say that I um, you, you kind of we're a two sided marketplace, and you kind of pick which side you are and why you're building. And of course, there's so many beautiful things about you know Uber is like providing jobs for drivers, giving freedom allowing women to work if they want to drive a car, whatever, like they do so much good, but ultimately they're just helping people get from A to B in the most efficient, safest, whatever way, right? Similarly, I would say our focus is definitely a little bit more on the brand side in terms of mindset, motive, mission. But that's really important because at the end of the day, sponsorship is a very difficult form of marketing to like source and find. And so if we didn't, really focus on the brand and we focus too much on what the athlete wants 
I think it would be hard for us to actually even do these deals. Mm -hmm. So for us, like our mission is to say that every brand should be doing marketing because if you don't do marketing, you're not going to grow. Every brand should be thinking about sponsorship marketing, sponsorship essentially being the, the, the idea that you are leveraging someone else's asset to bring validation to you. You're like co-branding, co-marketing. And then we say everyone should be doing sports, whether you're male or female focused, whether you're your demographic is old or young or Hispanic or African-American or Caucasian or whatever else, because sports is like one of the most powerful pastimes in the, in the world. And by aligning yourself with sports and, and athletes, you know, your marketing is relevant and interesting. And, and now it's also not too expensive. It's affordable. And so that's really like our mission statement. By virtue of that, we are helping athletes make money. We're giving athletes the opportunity to, potentially work with startups where they may end up working over time um, or giving them equity in companies or whatever else or educating them about marketing, whatever it may be. So the virtue of that is this, but we take a very heavy brand lens view on it so that we make sure that there is money in the ecosystem. Yeah, especially on a double-sided marketplace, it has to work for both sides, right? It just can't be slanted one side unless no one would, would populate the other side. Yeah. For you, and I've built one. That's the only reason that I'm asking. What was the hardest part about the double-sided marketplace? It's the chicken or the egg problem. You've heard a million people probably say it. Um, how did you solve that? I actually think we were really lucky um, that the business made a lot of sense. Like I knew coming from the industry that there's not a there's no one out there who doesn't want to help with sponsorship. Like fact, like even. MSG or anyone would say, yeah, bring me a sponsor. I'll pay you X commission, right? Like no one doesn't need more help. So I knew that the business made sense. I chose that we shouldn't charge our supply. It didn't make sense to me. We should take a commission. That's how the world works. So it was free for them to sign up. A lot of people were lovely at the beginning and signed up. And they were like, look, it's never going to work. You're never going to do this. But sure, I'll make an account makes you happy um and it lovely it was really nice like and we weren't we weren't sold on athletes at the beginning we were doing team deals event deals uh or we were looking at all of these kind of opportunities so i remember like friend from the mets was like sure i'll sign up you know and, and these are all like work friends they're like new people i'd met because i didn't really know anyone in the industry here because i i just moved here and so here being new york um and so we got all of these people to sign up and they were like all right well, we're not going to you know if you make if you bring us a deal sure we'll pay you 10 20 percent whatever so that was easier and then we got to like about a thousand and then we flipped over to brand that's where it, it was tough right because pricing makes a difference at the beginning i was like i just i loved airbnb i was like oh we're just going to do airbnb we'll charge everyone three percent the same as airbnb like some of these deals were like 250 dollars. i mean it's not even worth cutting an invoice for such little money so it was interesting. And then we charged, then we introduced the subscription pricing and whatever else. So I'd say like, and, and people ask about the subscription because it is a blocker in a marketplace, right? Like you're, you know, if it was free for to cut people to come in, would they spend more? But the problem is you get a lot of, I remember I have a friend who works at the Mavericks and he was like, love your platform, but these brands have no budget. It's like, they're kicking tires. Like love, love you Mavs. Like would love to send you product. It's like my sponsorship deals are a hundred thousand dollars, like minimum. So that's when we introduced a subscription fee to say, okay, we can't just have people sending fanboy messages out to teams and athletes. So it's been interesting to iterate and grow. And obviously like, I would say with a, 
people have tried to do what we've done and pivoted or failed or whatever else. So I'd say with the, the runners, the front runners, but you're always making it up, right? Things that COVID hits, you have to change your pricing. You go enterprise, you have to change your pricing. Um, so I think it's always a case of testing, but the brand side is the focus because with the athlete side, there's very it's very low risk for them. Now, being an entrepreneur and hearing people say, hey, listen, you're not going to make it or um, dealing with these challenges, how do you deal with them personally? Um, I feel like, well, one is obviously if you're not resilient, then forget about being an entrepreneur. It's like so difficult. Um, I remember like at the beginning, there's like this phrase, right? Like it's like banging your head against a brick wall. And like people use that to be like, it's pointless. As an entrepreneur, I'd say it's like banging your head against the brick wall that you have to break through. Like you have no choice. There's no other way. Like it's either that way or you give up. Um, so it's definitely hard. Um, I say like the highs are really high and the lows are low. Um, and I think you just gotta um, pick yourself up and, and keep going. And you you gotta be you have to be excited about the mission. Like that's it. Like you gotta remember what you're doing and why, um, and keep your eye on that because. If you get carried away with the day-to-day of like what's not going well, like you would give up. But if you're like, well, I do believe that I can change an industry and I can bring something into the world that's that's new and different, then you, know, you have a chance of getting up and carrying on. And is, is the team that you build around you, is that pretty important as well to you and to, to the mission? Really important. But I'd say back to your point about the challenges, I'd say really important, but your own mindset is probably the most important thing because no one else is going to pick you up. I mean, of course they help and it's great and like you can bounce off them, but, um, you know, everyone's in it for like something slightly different. Everyone takes things a bit differently. Like I'd say there's a big difference between founder and not founder. And then I think even between CEO and not CEO as you progress, I think the bird, like the the weight that you carry, is a bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, so the team is so important. I mean, just for sanity purposes, and obviously delegation and growing and all of that stuff. But in terms of like resilience, that has to come from within. Within. Agreed. Agreed. So th- this this venture has been going on since I mean 2016 when when you when you started this, and sports has changed a lot since then. What are the biggest changes that you've seen and what do you think are the biggest changes to come um, as, as you guys progress in, in your company? Yeah, good question. So obviously NIL, we talked about that, is huge. So, you know, our marketplace was built for sponsorship opportunities at scale, a lot of digital, volume play. I mean, you can do the one-time seven, eight-figure deal throws and it's a great experience, but we're the only place that you really can go and allocate $10,000 across a hundred athletes, scalably quick, smooth like that. So NIL was literally made for our platform, which is why, you know, obviously we're seeing competition in the market addressing that platforms that look very similar to ours. Um, so the NIL is really interesting. I love looking at the female landscape and, and the niche sport landscape. I think that's another really nice thing where, you know, I love doing Paralympic deals, female athlete deals, like seeing these kind of things. Um, so I think that is co- to, con- to be continued. We've, I feel like the female side of it is only growing. Um, and then I think third is just like that the speed at which the market is evolving in terms of 
clubhouse comes along and suddenly everyone's is that the, the place you should sponsor or like is it nfts and like i'm i'm literally having to write a paper right now on like what my view on nfts is for our company and so i think that's really interesting to think about like you've basically got like an athlete or a sports team and before it was like stadium signage or logo on cap now it's like my nft my clubhouse channel my charity there's all of this like assets and inventory around you that even the agent is like, wait, what, like, what does this mean? And like the athlete's like, what does this mean? And, and, and we're trying to figure it out as well and do those deals. So I'm going to, I'm going to change gear real quick. Can you please give me like a 10 second rundown of what an NFT is? I've heard like 19 oh, different definitions and, and I can't, I can't hone in on one. Okay. There's going to be listeners out there who are going to absolutely hate me. Please don't. <laughs> when I get it completely wrong, but I'll tell you what my perception of NFT is. And then I might even be incorrect in saying that. I think like, it's such a broad term that mm. like maybe it means different. Like I'm, I, and the way that I work is I'm very focused. So I basically try and go into like, what do I need to know about this? And then like, just take that information and run with it. So I don't have a clear picture, but from what I've understood, so NFT non-fungible token is essentially, um, the way I've understood it is back in the day, like you could get a signed jersey from an athlete and you keep it and you put it on your wall and it's collectible and it should go up in value. Might not. And it depends how many there are. And is it authenticated? Is it not authenticated? Did he get, did he sign a thousand at one time? Is it from the NBA final or is it from a playoff game that's not that special? And all of these factors make something more or less. Like, is it a really cool design? Is it the best design journey jersey in history? Or is it when the jersey wasn't that cool? So all of these factors go into, like, saying whether it's, like, a good or, like, whether it's going to go up in value or not go up and what the original value is. NFT is the same thing, but digital. So what happens is, let's say I was going to produce an NFT. Who is the artist? and collaborating with are they very famous are they good so you hear things like oh that nft the person's cool but it wasn't a great nft it wasn't high quality so that's like you having a jersey that's like on the training kit not the real one for example right so that makes a difference like how many of these were released into the market um was it a moment so like is this nft celebrating like a win or was it like something else or whatever else and then obviously like what's a secondary market and then there's this extra like weird thing about nfts around like what where it can be transacted as well mm -hmm. this is where everyone who's listening who knows about it is like what the hell is she talking about? <laughs> but basically there's a lot of nuances but essentially it's like a digital version of merchandise that is valuable and will go should go up in value and can be traded huh and would you, would you say that you've seen a lot of those deals coming down the pipeline or is that is that going to be a, a large volume of deals that you see, not even just on your platform, but within the industry? So we have brands who are working with us to, to find athletes to do NFTs with. So that's where we're at at the moment, which is like, it's the same as having like people to do traditional merchandise deals with, right? Like it's the same. So that's, that's what's happening already at the moment for us. And, you know, um, those deals are happening. What I am interested in is like, as we scale, I'm thinking about, well, we have 11,000 athletes. What can we do? 
that's different? How can we use, is there a play that's like, takes us from here to here using NFTs? If no, great, park it, idea done. Um, but if so, let's let's do it. So that's that's like why I'm thinking about NFTs because I'm like, I don't want to miss a step if there's something really interesting, but I'm not sure yet. But mm. as I said, like we already have like, those deals are happening, right? Like, you know, it's really interesting to see how many crypto deals are front front of shirt crypto deals and all of this stuff. So all of that is happening. It's just as a business, you know, for example, we thought about whether we should allow athletes to get paid in some sort of cryptocurrency. I personally don't think it's going to be a game changer for us at the moment. And maybe again, some of your listeners are like, what is she talking about? She's an idiot. But like right now, I'm not sure. I think maybe a year's down the line, like maybe, especially if we're doing more deals in like Africa and other places. Um, so I think my job is to like take a view on like, do we need to think about it now or can we park it? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the landscape's changing quite a bit. I'm, I'm glad I just learned something new about an NFT. Honestly, okay. never. I'm really worried I got it all wrong, but yeah, <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> I well, the thing is, is when it's a new when it's a new frontier, it could go in a million different directions. I feel like like there, there's no there's no direct definition as maybe what it is right now, but what it can be is definitely a different a different like universe. Um, yeah. So that that's really Let, interesting. Let's say for that. If, if if I got it wrong, then I'm just describing the future clearly. That's it. Yeah, you can hold, you can hang your hat on that. That worked for me. <laughs> Last question for you. Um, what's your mantra? Um, being an entrepreneur, obviously it's, it's, it's a lonely road, but it's a rewarding road. There's like you said, highs and lows. Um, is there something that you kind of live by that a mentor has told you that uh, one of your coaches, a professor, that is something that you kind of hold near and dear to your heart that you lean on through, through those times? I don't think I have a mantra. I definitely have like principles that I try and like live by when I'm working and try and instill on others. So like, I think it's really important to enjoy your work. Like, of course, you may spend 10, 20% of your time doing stuff that you don't really enjoy. But if you're doing stuff that you don't enjoy too much, you're just, are you going to burn out? You're not going to do a great job. So I like really try and think about, okay, what bits am I? And if I don't enjoy them, I'm probably not good at them. So how can I like, hire people to do stuff I don't enjoy like actually when we're when we think about hiring I have this little sheet with my two with my co-founder and our VP finance and I'm like what do you spend your time on and how much do you enjoy it and I like if they're like eight out of ten spend my time on but I enjoy it like one out of five and they're like five out of five I enjoy it I'm like great keep it but if it's like even if it's like three out of ten and I don't enjoy it I'm like cool what's the position that we can hire to get rid of this off your plate so I think like try and do stuff that you enjoy um, and then I'd say a lead by example, like, I think it's really hard to bring someone into an organization if you haven't like done the work yourself, or like don't really understand it. And so as an entrepreneur, anyway, you're like having to do a lot of new stuff yourself, but you're like a jack of all, but you really have to, like, I have to be thinking about marketing because when I hire someone in marketing, how do I really know how to set expectations and what's good? It's just luck if they work out. So mm -hmm. I think like get in the weeds, lead by example, like no job is too big or too small for me to do at all. Um, so yeah, I'd say those, those are a couple of things. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. This is great. I'm going to have to check out NFTs uh, right after we get <laughs> off of this. 
learn some more about it, but I really appreciate it. Um, can you tell everyone, hey, listen, wh- where, where do we find you? What do we see what you're doing, the new projects that, uh, that are coming out? Yeah, no, love it. Um, so opensponsorship.com, um, all one word. I would love for anyone to, to go in. Um, I always say like, you know, everyone should be spending money on marketing and sports is the best place to do it. So if you can't see the fit, don't worry, come to us and we'll figure out a way. No budget is too small um, or too big um, for us. So come and check it out. And then obviously personally, you know, if I've really screwed up the definition of NFT and you want to correct me, you can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn, but just be nice. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Katie. I'd like to thank Ishveen for joining us on this edition of Power the Journey. If you enjoyed our conversation today, please let us know. Like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Check back in every week when we peel back the layers of the student-athlete experience by talking with those who have been through it, those who are impacting it, and guests within the athletics community who are actively trying to change it for the better. And don't forget, your journey has power.